Thank you for joining us on our journey into the stranger side of the county. We will be exploring the folklore, urban legends and supernatural encounters that form part of its rich history. Welcome to episode 14 of Eerie Essex. It's been a while and I'm sure, I hope you've missed us. We've missed you. We've missed telling these stories, but we're back with a particularly gruesome filled and eerie set of tales because this month we are looking at poltergeists. And thank you. (laughs) And thank you to everyone who helped us choose the title of this episode, which is, and we've had to look this up because we keep arguing about the amount of booms. Boom, shake, 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 shake shake the room. room. Yeah. There's actually an astonishing amount of songs from the 90s that have boom in the title. We got so confused. Well, I got so confused when I was putting that poll up because we we couldn't remember which one, which song we'd actually agreed on. Yeah, because it's the Venga Boys with boom, 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 boom. boom, boom. And what was the other one? Oh, it was the boom, boom, boom. Let me hear say way up, way up. Anyway. And then I accidentally landed on the Will Smith, Jazzy Jeff. Boom, shake, shake, shake the room. Yeah. So we hope, thank you again for the poll and everybody who voted. And this month, Elsa's going first. So Elsa, take it away. Right. I have a particularly grim story. Yes. Around the time of the First World War, there was a family in rural Clavering suffering from a very noisy poltergeist. Loud bangs in a deserted room, which was used for tool storage, kept them up all night. And they said it sounded though as though heavy equipment was being thrown across the room. But when they would go and check the next morning, there was no evidence that any of these tools had been moved. Their cows were also scared half to death when they were calving by the sounds of loud bangs coming from the empty side of the barn. There were other strange incidents as well. Often in the middle of the night, they would hear the sound of the front door opening and closing again and again and again, even though they were sure that they had locked the door. There were also claims as far back as 1905, when the house stood empty of the sound of somebody playing piano. This might sound like a run-of-the-mill typical poltergeist activity. But there's one very important fact about this case. These incidents took place at the scene of a famous murder case, Moat Farm. So to go back to the beginning, in 1898, Camille Holland was living in Elgin Crescent, London. She was by and large an independent woman At the age of 56, she was still single and managed her own affairs, taking care of her stocks and shares, which were valued around £6,000. I mean, that doesn't sound like a lot today, 
but at the time she was very well to do yeah and she kind of sounds like a cool lady to be honest she was a music yeah she was great she was a music teacher she seemed to have traveled a fair bit um she saved money by mending her own clothes and what she saved she invested in the stocks and shares which made her independently wealthy so she hadn't inherited that inherited that wealth necessarily she'd made it on her own good for her in the autumn of that of uh, 1898 she seemed to have tired of the single life and decided to advertise for a potential husband which was apparently something you could do back then um and unfortunately uh, she had the luck of meeting Samuel Dougal that year. They began a relationship and Camille soon purchased Colden Farm, which they renamed Moat Farm. It stood in the little village of Clavering, not far from Saffron Walden. Perhaps Camille already sensed that Dougal was not all he claimed to be, as she insisted in putting the deed to the farm in her name only. After some renovations to the farmhouse, they moved into their new home as man and wife in name only, they, as they were not legally married. This was due to Dougal having not yet divorced his previous wife, though according to him, they had been separated for many years. They were also joined by Camille's little dog, Jacko, and their newly appointed maid, Florence. Poor Florence had barely set foot in the house when she discovered that she was the object of Samuel's attentions. On the 14th of May, Samuel made inappropriate advances to her in the kitchen, and on the night of the 16th, he tried to enter her room. Florence resisted his advances on both occasions, and in the latter instance, she held the door shut and screamed to alert Camille. When Camille arrived on the scene, she sent Samuel off to bed, and she slept in the same room as Florence for the rest of that night and on the following two nights. So... By the time of May 19th, Florence found herself alone in the house of Samuel. Earlier that evening at 6.30, Samuel and Camille had gone out on a pony and trap. And at 8.30, Samuel had returned without Camille. And when Camille, uh, uh, when Florence asked after Camille, he told her that she had gone to London and would return later that night. When Florence came down to start her chores at 7 a.m. the next day, she was surprised to find Samuel already up dressed and eating breakfast. He told her that he had received a letter from Camille in which he said she had gone on holiday, yachting of all things. Mm. And this turns out it was of little consequence to Florence, who'd already made up her mind to leave the house and her mother was on her way to collect her that morning. So she left with her wages and didn't think any more about it. Samuel was not on his own for long. He employed a new maid, Emma Burgess, and was soon joined by another Mrs. Dougal, who was in fact his third wife, the one he had apparently separated from for years before. Um, And he'd also told Camille he'd only been married once before, not three times. What a rotter. He's a sick bastard. We'll get get to it. (laughs) Over the next four years... Samuel continued to live at the farm and became part of the local community, attending church and giving generously to local causes such as the enlargement of the churchyard and the interior redecoration of the church. See, when I hear that, I immediately think they're doing this because of some dark thing they've got. A lot of the time you hear people putting extra money into the church because they want to make themselves feel better for things. Mm. You you would be spot on the money. (laughs) Dougal's social life also blossomed. Local gossip spoke of a rural playboy mansion where a long string of female servants came and went. 
those who accepted Dougal's request for extra extracurricular services stayed a bit longer. And before long, Dougal was in court being sued for child support by multiple women. <laughs> there was also a rumour that Dougal was fond of having naked women bicycle through the grounds of the estate, which the Times people seem to have treated as an eccentric but troubling quirk. However, the new slash old Mrs. Dougal didn't seem to find it all that quirky and she finally ran away with one of the farm labourers. After four years, people did start to wonder how it was that Samuel, who had no visible means of support, could afford to be so generous to the community and to his various women friends and live in such a grand style. It was Camille's nephew who finally raised the red flag in March 1903 when he was shown some checks supposedly written by his aunt and immediately realised it was not her handwriting. Dougal was finally charged with forging, and I don't know why they call it this, uttering a cheque to the value of £28.15, payable to J. Heath, dated the 28th of August 1902. And the cheque was uh, apparently drawn by Camille at Clavering. During the trial, which began in the spring of 1903, the prosecution produced evidence to show that Samuel had systematically moved money from Camille's accounts into his own, sold her stocks and shares, and even transferred the title of Moat Farm to his name. This trial, four years after the disappearance of Camille, triggered an interest in her whereabouts. Who goes yachting for four years, for goodness sake, and everybody just completely forgets? The police took possession of Moat Farm. Crowds of spectators, mainly women, gathered to watch the police raid the home. Oranges and nuts were sold to the crowds as they waited for the discovery to be made. They Seriously? Also, yeah, they also sold commemorative postcards. And there's still quite a few of these hanging about. I found some and I'm going to put them on Instagram when we post the story. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. It's um, it, it, like... They didn't have TV... Is it who? Who was it? Who? Um, which was the serial killer who um, had all those female fans? Was it Ted Bundy or was Ted it Ted Bundy? Yeah, yeah. This guy is full Ted Bundy. Oh God! So two weeks after they took possession, apparently with the aid of Camille's little dog Jacko, which had been taken in by one of her friends in the village, Mrs. Whiskins, Camille's body was found in a drainage ditch. She was identified by the custom size two shoes that she was wearing and some items of jewellery, including the ring from her first love, a naval officer who had drowned many years back. The ring had been taken from his body and given to her. The cause of death was a shot to the head. Dougal was eventually hanged for his crimes. Interestingly, there are some records that Samuel Dougal applied for the post of executioner in about 1899 to 1900, but was passed over when the list of competent persons was put together in January 1890. The reason being was that he had been tried but not sentenced for arson in a previous uh, previous years. And if you want to learn more about his treachery, because it's much worse than I've described here. He's got multiple wives, multiple women he's had children by. There's He's been done for forgery several times before he's even met Camille. Um, I really suggest going to the Essex Police Museum website and reading all about it. Also, this is gross, but when he was in prison, he seems to have stayed in contact with the various women he was seeing and had children by and even organised for them to come and watch the trial, suggesting to his lawyer that they rent a little trap for them all to come down on and that it would be a grand day out for them all. What? Very much Ted Bundy vibes. Oh, it's just 
weird. Yeah, it, it gets, it's, it's gross. Now, it was only a few years after the trial when a local blacksmith who was passing by the now abandoned moat farm reported piano music coming from the deserted building. Camille in her life before Samuel had been a piano teacher and the blacksmith swore it sounded exactly like her playing. It became part of local folklore in the area that Camille's ghost would crawl out of the ditch where her body had been dumped at night to go back to the house and play piano. Much of the poltergeist activity was also attributed to her spirit and I get it, I'd throw stuff if that was me too. But there is one strange thing that Dougal related to a reporter before he was hung. After he killed Camille, he returned to the home and drank a glass of brandy. When he finished, he got up and left the house, intending to go back to the body and bury it. However, he couldn't bring himself to do it yet. He tried several times to go back out. So he was going in and out of the front door over and over and over again. So the opening and the closing of the front door may have been down to Dougal's ghost reenacting the night he murdered Camille. And if you're interested in what happened to Camille's little dog, Jacko, well, it was taken in by Mrs. Whiskins, where he lived as a pampered pet and a source of much fascination right up until his death, when he was promptly stuffed and kept in a glass case. Today, you can visit him at the Essex Police Museum as part of their exhibition on the Moat Farm murder. Oh, that's awesome. I want to see Jacko. I will, again, I'll post a picture on Instagram. He's very cute. Um, And there are some pictures of him alive posing with the police officers as well. (laughs) Oh, we have so to go. I, I, I loved that. I, I really wanted to tell that story because it's so, it sounds like something from a novel. It reminded me a little bit of um, The Haunting of Bly House or Bly yes. Manor, where yeah. she would go back into from the lake. Yeah. Yeah. This that was, uh, except this one, she, does, she doesn't get a lake. She gets a drainage ditch. Yeah. God, no, it's It's horrible. Yeah. He's a bad, bad man. That's a bad man. Ooh. What's it? What's at Moat Farm now? Is it still a farmhouse? Well, I, this is the thing. I've been trying to find it on the map. Um, so it was previously known as Coldham's Farm. So I also tried looking for Coldham Farm. And it's really hard to pinpoint. I was trying for several hours to try and drop a needle on it. Yeah. Um, but it's you can't find it on Google Maps, but you can find it on maps with uh, listings for historical buildings. So right. I was trying to look at the map and then transfer it over to the Google map, but it's the, nothing was matching up. It's really, it was really irritating. Possibly I'll find it after this episode and I'll keep hacking yeah. away at it. Right. Yeah. So, Bethan, what's your first one? Mine is The Ghosts of Wilson House. Actually, all of my stories today come from the amazing Wesley H. Down books the he's done several of these books it's part of the wesley's essex collection and this particular one is from haunted clacton and they're just so it's nice that you can hear wesley's voice in them yeah he does have a very distinctive um style doesn't he he does bless him Um, oh my previous one the the poltergeist activity uh portion of it came from betty puttick who we know that the lawmen love the name of so they can't get enough of puttick can they yeah they do love a bit of puttick (laughs) well mine as i said is the ghosts of wilson house until a few years ago there was a girls private day and boarding school in lees road clacton known as st monica's school as the number of boarding pupils increased it became necessary to obtain extra accommodation so the nearby ancient farmhouse known as alton park was purchased and renamed wilson house 
Dating back before even 1086, Alton Park was recorded in the Doomsday Book and over the years has played its part in local history and continues to do so until 1953, when, as stated above, the property was sold to St Monica's School and renamed Wilson House after Bishop Henry Wilson. It was at this period of time that various stories of hauntings began to circulate. It is widely believed that some psychic force is either given off or taken from uh, young girls of this age, he writes. Uh, so it's not really surprising that there should have been manifestations occurring when there are several girls of this age together in an old building which has already seen its share of trouble over the years. But to like, mention all the alleged goings-on would no doubt fill a book of its own. <laughs> to get some idea of what the girls saw and heard, it's very nicely summed up in the following poem, composed with the help of some of the past residents of Wilson House. I was just about to say, it sounds very much like Peeves the Poltergeist, doesn't it? It does a bit, yes. And when he said um, all the stories would fill a book of itself, it's like, oh, is he going to tell us? No. No. They never do. (laughs) I know. But if anybody anybody listening used to, or knows anybody that went to Wilson House and knows some of these stories, please contact us because I'm desperate to know what went on. And I'm sure Wesley's collection of stories would have them in it. And I know his son has taken over. So I must... I was going to say hunt his son down, but that sounded quite ominous. So try and contact his son about it. But here we go. Here is the poem. Please don't, please don't be afraid of us, Wesley's son. Yep. Yeah, please don't be afraid. We're nice. So here's a poem of the ghosts of Wilson's house. So many nights we've lain awake and heard the beams and floorboards shake and listened to the moans and groans of ghosts and grinding bones. There is no peace in West Eight dawn, especially when the night is warm. For through the window in the night appears a lady dressed in white and hobnailed boots above is heard when all the rats and bats are stirred. Or if in north you've ever slept and from your bed you've softly crept to see beyond the open door, William pace the corridor. On Halloween when night is young on the large meat hook butlers hung and you'll hear his cries borne through the air. It's enough to raise a prefect's hair. Once William killed his master's wife with sharp and cruel and bloody knife. He killed the lady dressed in white at Halloween about midnight, when hobnail boots his neck had wrung, across the hook his body slung, in anger at his cruel deed, yet from the sin he's ne'er been freed. But oh, to be in Wilson, so many girls have cried, yet maybe they would change their minds if ever they had tried, with clanking chains and grinding bones and footsteps in the night and moans and groans and wailings when you've turned out the lights. Wow. So was that story about William killing the master's wife, was that based on fact? I'm going to look more into this. I think a trip to that's Chelmsford Record Office might be in order because mm-hmm. uh, I couldn't find anything in the usual places. So it's, it's a to-be-continued, this one. It seems to be a feature of some of these stories that there is like a pseudo history around them. Um, I've got a story later that's very similar to your one mm. um, with a few distinct differences where there is there is a story of something bad happening in the past, but I can't find any evidence that actually took place. Right. Yeah, we get that a lot with these stories, yeah. don't we? Well, just to end on, Wilson House and Alton Park was demolished in the 1970s, but a new house has been erected on the site. So I wonder if um, things continue in the new place. 
Oh, like that. Um, who? What was it called? The um, Christmas Ghost Stories. Do you remember the one had? Uh, I think it was Mark Gattis was probably involved because he always is. They're on that new housing estate, and he finds the door knocker. Oh yes, yeah, that was good, wasn't it? But was it was one. all to do with the house that was there before. But it was happening in his house, which was like a new built home. I know the one you mean. It was a several. It was a, it was like a several parter, wasn't it? Yeah. And was oh, it's on Amazon Prime. Type it's... in Mark Gatus, you'll find it, <laughs> and you'll probably find a whole bunch of other scary things. Yes, some good, some <laughs> not so good. I found on Amazon Prime. <laughs> okay, um, well, yeah, I, that's my first story. I particularly like Mark Gatus's History of Horror documentary he did a while back. I found that really good. Um, yes, I really liked his um, folk horror one. Yeah. Shall I uh, charge ahead with this next story? Go for it. I'm going to give a bit of a warning first. Um, this one is a bit gory. Uh, it does have significance to events that have happened recently. Uh, there's been a few people who have, um, in the heat, been trying to call off um, around Clacton. And unfortunately, they uh, drowned so this story does have elements of that, um, and I'll try and be as sensitive as possible, but if that's something that's affecting you right now, maybe give this one a little skip over. This strange case took place in Clacton in 1986. Uh, this case, again, comes from Wesley Downs, um, who interviewed the people directly involved but agreed to keep their details private because there was police action involved. Oh, Right. A local man had taken his dog for a walk on the beach that evening, but had returned without his dog. It was fairly common for the dog to run off and return by himself, so he wasn't worried. Hours later, the dog returns, and just bef- it's just before the stroke of midnight, and he can hear the scratching at the door. He goes to open the door and let the pup in. However, the dog's brought a little present home with him. <laughs> a full human arm. Nice. Now, what would you do if your dog dragged in a human arm with him? Uh- I, I had I, no idea. <laughs> I'd have probably screamed the house down and called the police immediately. Yes. But maybe people are just built different in Clacton because this guy carefully wraps the arm up in a plastic bag and puts it in a freezer next to the frozen peas and fish fingers before he goes back to bed. <laughs> exactly. That is, yeah, that's different. Can that's you a guess, different way of handling it. <laughs> can you guess what happens next? He accidentally cooks it with the peas. And- <laughs> <laughs> oh, no, that would have been so horrible. So the man and his wife, only a few minutes later, um, having gone to bed, are awoken by the strange sound of rapping. As though someone was tap, tap, tapping somewhere in the house. You rhymed that then. Well done. <laughs> it was on purpose. <laughs> <laughs> this was followed by some unusually loud moans and groans i'm guessing they didn't share any walls with their neighbors because my first thought wouldn't have been a poltergeist it would have been somebody having a good time (laughs) (laughs) the man got out of bed and decided to go downstairs to investigate but the noises ceased immediately when he got onto the stairs so he went back up and no sooner had he got back into bed the sound started once again The next day, the man took the arm to the police station. And I can't even imagine the poor desk sergeant's face when he pulled that out of the bag. The man 
was then interviewed at length by the police about the arm and his connection to it before he was allowed to return home. Uh, Wesley says he confirmed this with the local police, but because he went to confirm it, he was then questioned thoroughly himself uh, because he had an interest in the case and the arm. So they obviously were quite concerned about where this arm had come from. Yeah. Uh, That night when the man returned from the police station, the rapping and the moaning started up all over again, but this time even louder. This continued for weeks, disturbing their lives, causing them to be sleep deprived until suddenly suddenly stopping for months. At this time, the man and uh, the man's wife and his children went to go visit relatives and have a break from the house. And in the meantime, the man stayed behind to install a long-promised central heating system. The very first night that his family were away, the man, in his own words, says, all hell broke loose. The tapping had increased in volume to full-blown banging, and moans and groans were louder than ever before. The man jumped out of bed with the niggling feeling that perhaps this time it could be burglars trying to get in since they thought that family was away. So he ran through the house with a length of timber screaming his lungs off for whoever it was to get out. But of course, he found no one. It took him a while to calm down. But when he did, in typical British fashion, with all the hullabaloo still carrying on about him, he made himself a cup of tea. A cup of tea. Yes. And sat down to have a little chat with his poltergeist. He explained he no longer had the arm and that the ghost did not belong there anymore. Then he calmly clicked off the light and went to bed. This approach seems to have worked since the next few nights, the noises decreased in volume and eventually disappeared. So that is so British. I know. He just (laughs) had a nice little chat, didn't he? With a cup of tea. Cup of tea. Set the world to right. This, This is where if you've lost somebody to in Clacton recently, I'd probably stop listening. What it was wasn't that behind a, you then? Behind me? Yeah. What? I didn't see anything. Well, there was a bang and I saw something behind you. What? No. Oh my God, you're scaring me. <laughs> Are you kidding? No, I'm not kidding. Didn't you hear that Where bang? was it? No, I didn't hear anything. What was it behind me? Where's Cass? Uh, the other way. Cass is asleep on the bed. Right. I'm staying over your house tomorrow night. I don't <laughs> want to see this. Well, nothing's... Oh, no, something did happen before, but I... Who knows? Carry on the story. Okay. <laughs> so this wasn't necessarily the limb of someone who had been murdered and chopped up and thrown into the sea. My search history took a bit of a turn for the morbid this week as I remembered something about feet regularly washing up on the Pacific Northwest. So that area of America. Oh God, yes. So it turns out in the water, human bodies naturally uh, disarticulate or come apart at the joints. So hands and feet often disconnect from the corpses after soaking up in the ocean for a while. So this may have been a victim of drowning or even suicide. Oh dear. Though I've got to say, this did remind me of another story that I haven't been able to share before because it's not necessarily supernatural. It was in the Grim Almanac of Essex. And it, it could get, again, it's quite gory, but it, it kind of amused me a little bit, I'm afraid to say. <laughs> what? In 1925, there was a motorcyclist uh, traveling through Stanford Rivers. He was uh, a mechanic from Onga and he ran over something. 
And then he stopped to see what he'd run over. And it turned out it was a full woman's leg complete with laced boot and stocking. The motorcyclist did a search of the area for the rest of the woman, but didn't find any more body parts. So the limb was handed over to the police. Um, This was reported in the weekly dispatch. And the police gave the comment that uh, so far no one had come forward to claim it. That was the part that amused me. (laughs) My leg. That's where it got to. It's like, oh, I'm wondering where I put that down. (laughs) Oh, these poor desk sergeants. Oh, getting limbs handed to... I mean, when I worked for Culture Nips Ipswich Museum Service, when I worked in natural history, sometimes people would come in and just go, I found this. And they'd give you like a Tesco's plastic shopping bag and you'd unwrap it and it'd be like a full flipping femur. Jeepers. <laughs> and, you, and you just go, I'm pretty sure it's a cow, but um, thank you. Thank you for that. Well, didn't um, Rowhedge, um, not long ago, actually... Um, a skeleton was found, and it was actually someone from the village who kept to herself. Oh, no. But um, people didn't really think much that they hadn't seen her for a while, but to actually become a skeleton oh, is gosh, a long that's time. so sad. So sad. I can't remember when that was. It wasn't, so it wasn't recently, in the last hundred years. Oh, gosh, that's horrible. Really horrible. But I do like that the guy... The dog brought the the arm home and then <laughs> it immediately stopped banging. Like, yeah. Let me out with this freezer. <laughs> well, I assume kicking. Oh, no, it's an arm. Yeah, no, it was, yeah the, the leg was the, other the, one was the motorcyclist no longer. And so we have no evidence that he was uh, kicked at all <laughs> afterwards. Yeah. Oh, um, yeah, it's interesting. I mean, especially I made the point of saying that he was installing a central heating system because usually when you get bangs and taps people will attribute that to the pipes yeah um and this house obviously didn't have a central heating system until this guy started to install it and it was on the first night before he'd even really done anything that it you got really attributed out of it. control yeah interesting so that that interested me a lot but again i i mean i i trust wesley when he says he he was taken by the police to ask why he was interested in this in this random arm but i can't find any news reports around it and if anybody's um, been wondering about elsa's internet search history lately it has been <laughs> for the podcast Yes, um, please, please don't think I... Planning anything. Planning anything. (laughs) I just want to know why these limbs keep appearing. That was a good story. And there's a picture, isn't there, to go with the... You've got a very sweet illustration of the dog and his little arm that you're going to send me, aren't you? Yeah, I've taken a picture of it. I'll put it on Instagram. It is strangely sweet, considering... This is the subject matter. I just love that the dog was like, I got you a present. And that poor man was probably like... I don't know. I can't ever let this dog lick lick me again. Like, does every story today have a dog in it? The first two didn't, did they? No, they didn't. Oh no, Jacko! Yeah, Jacko. Forgot, forgot Jacko. No, not oh, every single. Yeah, not every single story I have has a dog in it. Well, as long as you like, you know, say very early on if the dog is okay, because that's when I watch a film and there's a dog. The first thing I Google is the dog. Gonna does the dog die? die? There's a website that tells you does the dog yeah. die? Does the dog die? Right. I've got one from Wesley again. This is from (laughs) Wesley's Essex collection, the Haunted Colchester area, which is, I think you've got as well, haven't you? The blue one? Yes, I have the blue one. Amassing quite a collection of these. I've got got all of them. I've got one for you, actually. I've got the uh, spare Borley. 
oh yes please i would like that i'll bring it over tomorrow night thank you <laughs> there is a house in abbott's road colchester that was built before the turn of the century at the site of a former rectory so far as can be ascertained, there's no logical reason for the present building to be haunted, but, as in the best traditions, houses have been built on sites of old rectories should be haunted. So why break with the tradition? I love his turn of phrase. <laughs> the present occupiers have lived there for a number of years, but during the last eight or so years... Now, when this was written was... So when he's saying, like, in the last eight or so years, he wrote this in 1992, which to me doesn't seem that long ago, but it was, you know... It was over 20 years ago. So this was happening about tw 28 years ago. Various things have happened. It makes them believe that the place is also occupied by the spirit of a young girl who at times makes her present felt in many ways. Items are often moved from one place to another, sometimes even disappearing for days and then reappearing, either in the place from where they were removed or an entirely different location. One Christmas, a large bow was purchased to be put on the Christmas tree, but it strangely disappeared only to reappear some days later in the bathroom. That same Christmas, some parcels placed under the Christmas tree disappeared but were later found in the upstairs bedroom. On another occasion, a room mysteriously filled with smoke for no apparent reason. It hung about for some time and then disappeared as quickly as it appeared. Mm. There was a time when an air freshener flew from the downstairs toilet across the passage into the kitchen. It did not hit anyone, but there was a near miss before it gently fell to the floor. Oh, weird. I wonder what kind of air freshener it was. Of all the things, you're wondering what brand. <laughs> well, no, I was just wondering like how heavy it was. Like... Oh, right. Like, oh, which one is that? <laughs> Glade. I don't know. Another time, the lady's sister had been staying in the house for a few days with their two-year-old daughter. Just before they were about to leave and were standing in the kitchen, a film cassette was thrown from where it was placed on the windowsill across the room at head height, just missing the sister to crash to the floor. It was thought that this was done to show the spirit's annoyance at the little girl leaving. Oh, she liked the little girl. The reason that it is thought that the spirit is out of a young girl is perhaps it's always brightly coloured things that are moved or played with. One time when their 17-year-old son was in a room, the bookcase doors opened and a book fell landing on the floor open at a page where there was a poem they had been discussing only a few days earlier. Oh, interesting. But had the my brain goes there like if they'd been discussing that poem they might have opened the book and then therefore the book would be cracked and that yeah. would make it yeah but still it's, it's still cool. yeah it's still cool yeah strange footsteps have been heard in various parts of the house but when the house had been searched no nothing or nobody that could have caused them could be found and although most of the happenings could easily be described as mischievous there was one time it is thought the spirit world saved them a great loss the house had been burgled, drawers ransacked, and valuable items stolen. In one of the drawers there had been a small cardboard box that contained a gold chain. The box had been broken open and the contents removed, presumed stolen. A few days later when the drawers opened, the lady was surprised to find the box restored to almost its former condition, and the gold chain was inside it. Yet the police had seen the box in its damaged condition, and there was definitely no chain to be seen anywhere. Had the spirit been aware of what was about to happen and decided to remove the chain first? These are mysteries that may never be solved, but in the meantime, certainly give food for thought. Do you know where I, my mind originally went to this? Where? Because my, my mind just went somewhere as well. <laughs> I went brownie. Oh, oh yeah. Uh, rather than a ghost. I was thinking, it kind of reminded me of Patty's story from Unca Uncanny, where the incidents kept on happening, but then eventually it kind of saved um, her and her friend from something much worse happening. 
Yeah, yeah, definitely. It, it sort of like was on their side. Yeah, in a in a kind of destructive and horrible way. But oh, yeah, Patty's is much more malevolent. Oh yeah. Hi, Patty, if you're listening. Hi, Patty. We miss you. Um, Hope the alpacas are okay. Yeah. But yeah, it didn't. I mean, if you were to tell me the story, but not have said there's a poltergeist or a um, a ghost involved, possibly because of our last episode and all the, you know, we've been sort of like going down the rabbit hole of the fae folk and I've been all the things that happened, happened to you as well. Yeah, exactly. And my potatoes, <laughs> Those <laughs> which have yet potatoes. to be returned. <laughs> You're going to find some green mulch somewhere and it's going to be horrific. No, it definitely took them back to the Fey Realm. So okay. the Fey Realm were enjoying some nice organic Tesco's finest. <laughs> um, oh, but the, as someone was asking what's happening lately, I the last time I had something thrown at my head was when I, I came home one evening and I opened the front door and something whacked me in the forehead. A stone Oh my gosh. Okay. Um, and it couldn't have fallen off the roof because I'd actually gone inside the porch bit. Uh, so and that's the last thing that's happened. So I don't know if I've done something to placate it. I'm really scared at the moment because the hawthorn bush has been taken up. Uh-oh. Uh, we had, um, really, oh, we've got a lovely guy that comes to do our garden because I'm knackered and Jack's got a bad back. So we asked this guy to come and he's really good, bless him. <laughs> I forgot to say, don't dig up the hawthorn. Oh, no. They dug it up. So I'm waiting for the wave of wrath that comes with. Maybe they'll go after him. Oh, bless. I hope not. I have to warn him. I know I sound completely nuts then. <laughs> but um, yeah, with like things, uh, is it called apports? Like things disappearing and appearing. Mm. You you hear them a lot with um, poltergeist cases. Like I think that's how um, the Battersea poltergeist started. There was um, a, a necklace or a locket. That oh, there was a key, appeared. wasn't there? That a key, appeared. yeah. Yeah appeared which seems to be go hand in hand but also you you hear of things disappearing and reappearing with um anything to do with, yeah well or fey or brownies because it sounds more mischievous to me than um malevolent, malevolent. well like oh. my next case does a little bit of that but then it does get very malevolent okay go for it so there are two cases i looked at for this next story and I debated on this lovely one uh, called the Wivenhoe Poltergeist that I found on the internet, which is a first-hand account from some somebody that this happened to. However, it's so well written and it's such a lovely story. I did contact her because I, I would have loved to have gotten her on the podcast, but I haven't heard anything back. I don't want to read it out for you because I don't want to ruin it. It's just, it's too well done to start with. So what I'm going to do is I want to give you the details at the end so you can look it up for yourselves. Yeah, yeah, um, I know the one. It's a good one. It's very, it's very Liz Sauer, I thought. the way yes, very Liz Sauer. The way it's written. Um, I would have loved for her to have told it on the podcast. Um, but what I'm going to do instead is I'm going to give you a story from Wesley Downs about three little old ladies and a poltergeist. That sounds like a really good film I'd watch. Yeah, I, I I love this story. So these sweet old ladies were the, bol- the golden girls of poltergeist activity. They were three old friends who later in life decided to pull their resources and move in together. Only a few weeks after moving in did they sense something was not quite right. Objects were being moved around their rooms, personal items would disappear and reappear weeks later. Clumping, they also, and this relates back to your story from the Wilson house, 
clumping footfalls could be heard during the night, which were keeping them up. And they described it as though somebody was stomping about wearing hobnailed boots. Oh. The ladies felt as though someone had a personal vendetta against them. One of them even found that the end of their bed was lifted clean off the floor while she was awake, having been kept up by the stomping of the boots going around her room. Oh. Finally, it all seemed to come to a head when the spirit manifested in a blazing ball of white fire and floated towards one of them, leaving them with a numbing chill. Wesley Downs, recording the story in his memoirs of, of an Essex ghost hunter, um, in this postscript, he notes that the research turned up a suicide that had taken place in this house. This house was in the Hornbeams in Harlow, by the way. And oh, I wow. did go and look for, this is the one where I said I looked for um, evidence of this and I, I wasn't sure I could find it. But a man ha- who had previously lived in this building before it had been renovated had been jilted by his lover at the altar and he grew to hate all women before taking his own life years later. Crumbs. So this all turned out to be a bit too much for the three sweet old ladies and a priest was brought in to exercise the spirit and much to the three women's relief and eternal gratitude they were left in peace afterwards. But in my extra research, I did realise that this case took place in 1977, the same year that the Enfield case began. And when I looked on the map, Enfield is only 30 minutes down the road from the Hornbeams and Harlow. And then when I looked up, when did the movie The Poltergeist came out? It was 1985. So it's obviously not Nineteen seventy-seven was a good year because you had the Broadhaven UFO as well in. Uh, oh Wales. right, something happened in nineteen seventy-seven that's probably yeah. screwed everyone. Seventy-seven <laughs> seemed to be good years for stuff. So, if you'd love to, like to read um, the Wivenhoe Poltergeist, you can find it on Essex and Suffolk Surnames.co.uk, which is a blog about uh, genealogy and heritage. But she just happened to include this personal story um, of hers a few years back. Um, and it was written by a woman called Helen Barrell. So, Helen, if you're listening, listening Helen, <laughs> if you're listening to this, we'd love to talk to you. Uh, and you're a brilliant writer. And we very much enjoyed uh, your story about the Wivenhoe poltergeist. And we'd love to talk to you. And Bethan's in Wivenhoe. So, you know, if you see somebody wandering around with blue hair, yell Bethan. And yes. uh, she'll come running right over. <laughs> yeah, I probably will. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm going to reread that story myself, actually. It's yeah, it was one. great. And the, got... the blog itself is really interesting. I read a few more yeah. other, other articles because it, it popped up every now and again. There was, um, whilst I was doing research, another case which I failed to find any more information on, but I was got really excited over it because... Uh, so Arthur Conan Doyle actually advised on the case yes. and uh, instructed the priest on giving the uh, special rights to get rid of the poltergeist. He, he instructed the priest? Apparently. But, and this this appears in a magazine called The Truth in April 1922. I did see it in the archive. Yeah. But then when I go back, you, I can't find anything more in that magazine. But specifically anywhere else though through searching um that i did find that sir arthur conan doyle was well known for giving advice on poltergeist cases really Um, i didn't know that i knew he was interested in the um the spiritual realm there was quite a horrific one up north i think that he 
got involved in as well. Mm. Um, but yes, he apparently did investigate. He was a ghost hunter as well. Legend. Yeah. I have one more. Go for it. And this is um, from Wesley. <laughs> he is the hero of this episode. It's and a very is, Wesley episode. It is. And this is from uh, my favourite one of his, the terrible treasure halt story, which we did speak about in the monk episode, but it came with um, lots of other stories after the main event. So half the book is treasure halt, and then the rest of it is stories from the surrounding area. So this is about a bungalow at Plough Corner in Little Clacton. Now this bungalow is said to have been built over a point where two ley lines cross. I know. The bungalow was built in 1961, possibly on the site of a much earlier building. I'm going to go and do some digging into this. Um, I like looking at my maps. So I will update on that. Um, the point where the ley lines cross is thought to be an area of great magnetic energy, and this force is believed to have various magical powers. Sick animals have been known to seek out such spots, lie down on them, later to stand up, apparently fully recovered. Ooh, that's interesting. I didn't know that. It's also thought that these crossing points are areas of great psychic energy, which often enable manifestations to take place. This could account for a pair of phantom hands that have seen, been seen floating across one of the rooms in the bungalow. Perhaps it is the magnetic energy from these ley lines that causes the temperature to suddenly drop, cause the lights to flicker, make the television picture tremble then fade away, cause the electric switches to switch themselves on and off, or it could just be some playful spirit testing out the energy it has just picked up. Legend has it that a gibbet once stood on the side of the building and a man was hanged on it in the 17th century. Yeah. So yeah, this is a lovely place to build your bungalow. This could possibly account for the ghost of a highwayman or robber seen appearing about the house, either as a complete misty figure or just a pair of hands. The full figure was last seen in about 1985-86. Sometimes voices can be heard throughout the house. Doors open and close of their own volition. Often three knocks occur. Oh yeah, that's very significant, isn't it? Very. Th three knocks at a time because it's meant to be a, uh, what's it, aberration against the Holy the Trinity. Trinity? Yeah. Yeah. Um, there's the atheist. <laughs> there's the atheist, yes. Where would I go up to? So often three knocks occur before the kitchen doors open of their own accord, and sometimes the television will switch itself on and off. There is a regular ghost who visits the occupants, and they call it Derek, and they always know when he is about or has been seen, because knives go missing from the drawer. Sometimes they fly through the air to stick to the kitchen door. Oh, no. Other times they turn up in odd places, sometimes days later. The occupiers believe they know who Derek was. They think it was a friend who took his own life in Holland marshes some years ago by stabbing himself in the heart. Um, he always appears at 6.30pm on the 26th of February, the anniversary of his death. Gosh. Yeah. So that I'm going to look more into that house. <laughs> Where was it again? Little, little Clacton. Oh, little there's Clacton. a picture. Oh, yeah. The lovely little dog with his gross little arm. What I find interesting is that we have always thought of poltergeists as being very attached to young people. Mm. But a lot of these stories that we've gone through today haven't been around. And then Apart, perhaps the only one, really, the Wilson House. Yes, the Wilson House one is the only one that I'd say was completely typical of a poltergeist. This is Plough Corner at Little Clacton. Oh, yeah. I remember you telling me that. Mm. Um so I did find this really interesting book called Haunted People by uh, somebody last name Carrington. It was published in 
uh, ni- the 1950s, I think 1953. And its first few chapters, um, or its first chapter, The March of the Poltergeist, is a look through time at different poltergeist cases. Oh, interesting. And- Annoyingly, they don't once cover one in Essex, even though we definitely know they're there. <laughs> well, Borley. <laughs> yeah, well, no, it's that's the only one they do mention, actually, is Borley. So I, we will cover Borley. I just personally, I don't see the, apart from Harry Price being involved, I don't understand the, the hoo-ha about it. Yeah, it's it's more interesting as like a social commentary than it is. is- Langenhoe Church had far more. Mm. And also, if you listen to a podcast called Dark Histories, that's my recommendation for the month, they do a really good ep- episode on Borley. So I recommend okay. listening to that. Um, anyway, this book by Carrington, uh, it goes through a lot of poltergeist activity from the year 355 AD wow. to obviously up to the book being published. And there's a lot of similar features like uh, rains of stones and uh, things being moved. Also, uh, fires setting themselves, which we didn't find one of those, but I'm um, probably I sure. Did. The one everything you read out? Just, everything you've just said has happened in the paranormal intruder story. Oh, of course. Yes. The one that you were saving. Yeah. I was going to cover a story by Caroline Mitchell which is um, a really amazing account of a poltergeist activity her and her family um, were subjected to. But it wasn't something I could just slip in as a small story. Me and Elsa have decided Elsa's going to go away and read it. And then we need a whole episode on it because it's the the phenomena is phenomenal. (laughs) It's incredible. (laughs) It's phenomenal phenomena. Phenomenal phenomena. I, I, I literally am reading the book with my jaw on the floor. I think I've told the uncanny community to get on it. I think Michelle's yeah. reading it right now. <laughs> so all the way from 355 AD to uh, up to the 1950s, you get these very similar cases happening again and again and again. Some of them involve uh, young people and some of them don't, um, but they all have like this very similar line of these uh, these certain activities happening, which I just found amazing because they're going from like biblical stories to newspaper reports in the 1950s and it's it stays the same. Yeah. Um, but they also cover lots of different um, uh, background, well, what am I saying? Lots of different countries' versions of it. Mm. And uh, something I sent you, which I found really interesting, was uh, this report on how on gin mm. um, and how one case of poltergeist activity, a Muslim man was brought into the house at one point, and he immediately said, "Oh, this is a gin, yeah, and this is how you're going to get rid of it." I find and gin then, fascinating. Yeah, and then there's a few mentions in this March the Poltergeist chapter about how uh, some of these cases happening in Islamic countries were attributed to jinn as well. Mm. So it's interesting how different communities view it. I mean, and then we were talking about brownies, about how similar it is to to them. Yeah. Yeah. There's a, it's almost like there's um, mischievous and malevolent. Yeah. Though, you know, sometimes builds to malevolence. I don't really want to see a ball of white fire floating towards me. Or kitchen knives flying across the room. Why would your friend throw kitchen knives at you from beyond the grave? Yeah, I I did wonder that. But yeah, we will get to the the big story. Yeah. 
There's another story I was going to cover as well, but again, much too big. It needs its own episode or possibly it needs to be included in in a wider subject, which was Scrap Faggot Green. Scrap Faggot Green, yeah. I can imagine that would fit nicely in with the stones we're going to do, or as you say, might need its own because a lot happened there. Mm -hmm. And it's the most amazing name in the world. Yeah, it's so the word scrap faggot actually means witch in Old English. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not anything that is... Uh, in, in Old English and Irish, yeah. doesn't mean what it means in like the States. Yes, of course. It's not a derogatory but, um, term. Derogatory, that was the word I was trying to find. Um, it's not, it, the, in this case, it is not a derogatory term for somebody from the LGBT LGBTQIA community, um, it's derogatory towards witches, and it's also a rather nice meatball in Wales. Yeah, I <laughs> and a lazy person in Ireland. Oh, and a um, clump of grass in Scotland, and kindling. Yes, so there you go, a bit of etymology. <laughs> Just throw it in for free. Can I recommend a podcast? Yeah, go ahead. I want to recommend Owen Staten and his Time Between Times. If you like your folklore in a immersive storytelling way, it's fab. He is so good at, he's got the right voice for it. Imagine Richard Burton telling you folk tales. It's very Sounds good. lovely. <laughs> I'm working with him at the moment on um, a joint one about Glamorgan, where I'm from, where we're both from. Um, so we'll let you know what's going on with that. But yeah, that's my recommendation. It's fab. And at 9pm most nights, he does a live telling and what is incredible is it's off the top of his head wow he knows the stories and he tells them but it's it's like an amazing like dylan thomas script that's incredible i mean it just took me two minutes to remember the word derogatory i think yeah it's, it's early it's, it's not that not, is it <laughs> <laughs> there's no excuse then elsa <laughs> no it's just the leftover brain fog from the from the covid <laughs> oh bless you yeah that's another reason why you didn't have anything last month elsa finally succumbed Oh, after so many years, finally yep. got the finally got the COVID. I was actually had COVID whilst recording the last episode. That's why it sounded like death, rubbish. Yeah. <laughs> and then you you tested positive the next day, didn't yeah, you? Yeah, the very next day, I woke up with two tonsils the size of tennis balls, and uh, I was positive for COVID. Yeah, so it's been a it's been a bit of a month, hasn't it? Been a, a mare of a month. month. It's been a mare, complete and utter mare. Um, but we're back. Better than ever. We also, whilst we were away for the month, worked on our project, which is coming along nicely. Yes, we've got some locations um, planned and we're going to be announcing those soon. We also, we should be going soon actually, because we need to beautify ourselves because we're having a photo shoot tonight for our new website. Yes. We're very excited about that. That doesn't scare me more than ghosts. <laughs> yeah, I know. You'll be fine. I've, yeah, I keep on, for- I've, I forgot. What on earth did you see behind me? Well, as well as recording the audio, I'm recording the video so I can look back. Was it like a shadow or was it? It was like movement. Oh, that's so strange. It was like I mean, someone it... walked behind you. What, horizontal or? Um, in the doorway where you had the thing fly off the wall. Oh my God. <laughs> and on that note, ladies and gentlemen, we'll bid you adieu. Um, as ever... If you got, if you know anything about any of the stories we've spoken about today, especially as a lot of it was left to a bit of mystery, um, until we can track down Wesley's son. Again, not ominous. 
Um, if you could fill Listen, in the gaps. We, we, we promise we'd we mean you no harm. We just want we the stories. <laughs> yeah, we just want stories. Um, yeah, if anyone can fill in the gaps, that'd be great. If anybody's living in the houses currently, sorry if we're giving you nightmares. Yeah, especially with Moat Farm. I'm really sorry about that. But yeah, look forward to hearing from you. So it's goodbye from Elsa. And it's goodbye from Bethan. Bye. If you'd like to get in contact with us with a story of your own or any more information about what we've discussed in this episode, you can reach us at eerieessexpodcast at gmail.com. Or if you'd like to contact us on social media, you can find us on Twitter, Facebook and Instagram under the handle Eerie Essex. On Twitter, we are under Eerie underscore Essex. You can also find us on Patreon and Coffee if you'd like to support the podcast.